Hello and welcome to the Aware Parenting Stories podcast. My name is Joss Golden and I'm so happy that you're here. In this podcast series, I interview people who are passionate about parenting. We talk about many things to do with parenting and motherhood and explore the joys and challenges that we all face in our families. The aim of the podcast is to share more about aware parenting, to inspire us all on our parenting adventures, and to support us all to raise our children with more awareness, connection, and love. Hello, and welcome back to the Aware Parenting Stories podcast. Today, I'm having another conversation with Danny Willow. Danny, thanks so much for coming back. It's been a while since we've had one of our beautiful chats, but it's so lovely to see you again. Yeah, thank you so much. I'm excited to be back. It has been a while. I feel like we had a big break, but we've been busy behind the scenes doing lots and lots of other amazing things. So yeah, thank you for having me today. So Danny is an aware parenting instructor. She's been on lots of other episodes of this podcast and we started having a series of different conversations about all the things that we love about aware parenting. And we're going to continue to be having these conversations on and off as time allows, diving into all these lovely things. And today, as you can probably tell from the title, we're going to be talking about tantrums. And this came after a question from somebody who listens to the podcast asking us to talk specifically about that. So I might just start by reading out that question and then we can get into it. So this came from Mel. Thanks, Mel. She said, thanks for your amazing podcast. I'm quite new to aware parenting and only started doing this with my children a few months ago. I have a three-year-old and a six-month-old and my toddler recently started having tantrums. We have always done attachment parenting, so it doesn't really make sense to me why he should be having such big outbursts. Sometimes he will hit his head on the floor and I'm unsure how to support him. It's really hard with the baby to look after too, and he has at times been quite aggressive and violent towards his sister and recently also has been swearing at times. What is a good way for us to respond to him when he's having a tantrum and how do we stop him hurting himself or his sister? So I could have written this post, Mel, to be honest, like, you know, 17 years ago, this is exactly where I was at when I first got into Aware Parenting too. So I'm just sending you lots of love. I really, really resonate with these questions. And they come up a lot, don't they, in sessions with people. It's such a common scenario. Yeah, I so resonate and bits and pieces, particularly just about, you know, when you've come from attachment parenting, which is very much about, you know, crying is sort of viewed as there's something wrong or where we've done we've done something wrong as a mother or we haven't met a need. You know, it's very much about that beautiful baby wearing and, you know, breastfeeding and co-sleeping and creating this really beautiful attachment. And I think this is the part that really shifted for me with having that deeper understanding of aware parenting then went, oh, oh, that makes so much sense. So I think, you know, Mel, you're in a beautiful, beautiful space at the moment. Just just have a little play and see what feels good for you. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think there is this sense that I love how she says it doesn't really make sense to me yeah. why you should be having such big outbursts because I was in exactly that situation too. And it was almost like, oh my God, where's my beautiful baby gone? Mm. And I've been co-sleeping and like carrying him in a sling and breastfeeding for a long time and meeting all of his needs and awake every five minutes at night, yeah. responding to him lovingly. Why would he have any feelings? It just doesn't make sense. But it's such a different perspective to start to understand 
all the ways that our children do have experiences right from in utero that are stressful and challenging and distressing for them. And even when we are really responsive and attuned and attached and prioritizing all of that connection, they will still have lots of feelings to share. And I love how Aletha talks about how most children will need to cry for about an hour a day from birth in order to release the stress and tension from their bodies and come back into balance. And so if we get to three and our children haven't been crying for about an hour a day, then there's a lot of backlog there, even when we think that their life has been as beautiful and connected and loving as it could possibly be. Mm, I love that. And I'm just thinking about um, like going back into imagining, you know, if you're that baby lying on your back from birth and, you know, just little things about not being able to communicate when you are hungry and, and, you know, we mistake that for needing to go to sleep. So we put them in the sling and go for a walk or, um, you know, offering them the breast when they have really big feelings that they need to share. And all these like beautiful times where we've done what we think is the right thing in that moment or the best thing or what we think they're needing. But the reality is that we may have missed certain cues or we may have missed what they were deeply, deeply trying to tell us. And the same thing until they really have, you know, very expressive language, even when they're sort of one and coming into two, you know, there can be things there where maybe they ask for something and, you know, we distract them or we use food or we offer them the breast again and all these opportunities to listen to feelings when we haven't done that or they suck a dummy all those things or suck their thumb or you know hold on to their little blankie or all these things where we we miss the opportunity without even really knowing it and then of course then when we finally come to aware parenting we just have like this overwhelming sense of wow there's a lot of feelings here a lot of tantrums a lot of meltdowns and it feels like yeah what has happened to my beautiful connected loving child but we're starting to really see that in a different way and under a different lens yeah absolutely and of course the birth of a six-month-old and we've spoken about this in another podcast episode about siblings so Mel I really encourage you to go and have a listen to that but that's a huge time in a toddler's life of, of transition and change and yeah, I think it's we often underestimate the impact on our older children of having other siblings arrive in the family and how many feelings there are there about it and how our expectations of our older children change when suddenly they we need them to be more independent because we are trying to raise our children on our own and we don't have support. And again, like we talk about often on the podcast, if we were living in a way that we are actually designed to live, yeah. our older children would be having lots of close attachment with people that they know really well, who they love and trust and who they've been surrounded by since birth to support them. And of course, now they don't. We're just alone often with our children at home, or maybe we're in, you know, we're a a single family or whatever we're trying to do, but it's not an ideal situation to be supporting them. So it's so normal. I think that's just what I'd love to say. It is so normal that children at this age have lots of big feelings and start expressing them in this way through tantrums. And I remember somebody who I know telling me how her son had just started kindy and the kindy had been in touch with her because he'd had a few tantrums at kindy. And, and she was saying to me, do you think there might be something wrong with him? Do you think I should go and like see someone? To... And I was just like, but it's so normal. Of course he's having tantrums. This is a huge change. He's just started going to school. It's so normal. And I think, you know, the way our society views tantrums is that our children are bad 
or willful or naughty or manipulating or you know, having over big reactions to things that are really small. Drama queens need to be punished, need to be taught how to behave. And it's such a negative way of viewing children. It's so full of harshness and judgment. And I love that the aware parenting approach instead sees it as our beautiful children being so wise and so beautifully connected to their feelings and able to discharge and release and heal in this way if only we can see it for what it is. Mm, I love that. I just had a flashback to my own mum when Marley was having some big feelings going, oh, that's just crocodile tears, you know, <laughs> like just that really. And like having, you know, at the time I was very activated, but now I have a lot more compassion because we know that, you know, for generations, this is what, what all of those things that you just said are what people view tantrums as. And I kind of love, you know, we're parenting that we use the word big feelings and that we really know that these releases that they're having are their body's natural way of doing what it needs to do in order to come back into balance, which I just think, you know, when we can see it that way, it makes so much more sense and it feels so much nicer than viewing them as, you know, naughty and bad. And, you know, you see it all the time. You're in the supermarket and, you know, the other day I was in the supermarket and a child was having a really big meltdown and the mum just walked away and this child's lying in the aisle on their own, having a complete meltdown. And, you know, it's it's tricky. Like it's still really seen as children being naughty, not getting what they want, you know. They, they wanted something and the mum didn't want to give it to them. But I think in a way parenting, it's that compassionate piece of really coming with, oh, they're, they're having a really hard time. It's like waving that flag and saying, I'm not coping right now. Like I need to reset my body and this is the way that I'm going to be doing that. And it's not always the most enjoyable when it's in the middle of the supermarket or somewhere really public. But, you know, that is, if we can see it like that, it's much easier to, to surrender and be with them in that than it is to, you know, walk away and we carry all this judgment and shame and anger around what they're doing. Yeah. And of course, when we go into that, that's so disconnecting as well, isn't it? Because we're going into harsh judgments of our children and we all do it. There are times when we all are like, oh, please just don't do this. Or, you know, what's the matter with you? Maybe there is something wrong with you or any of that. And that just creates more disconnection with our children. And then, of course, when we come and start punishing children as well by withdrawing love, by walking away or by being quite harsh and critical or punishing or whatever it is that we're doing, that just adds so much. Not only is it not supporting children, with the underlying thing that is causing them to behave like that, it's actually making it more likely that they're going to have more big feelings because yeah. they've been shamed and punished. And the other day in the supermarket, on Tuesday in the supermarket, I had this little, exactly this, a, a little boy was having a tantrum and his mum literally grabbed him by the back of the neck and dragged him towards the checkout. And he's going, mommy, you're hurting me and she's crying. And she's saying, well, you shouldn't have been a naughty boy then, should you? And she like literally wedged him with the trolley between the checkout to hold him there so that he couldn't run away. And of course, you know, I mean, I'd like to say I didn't judge her, but I did because I was so <laughs> devastated for this child and yeah. what they were experiencing. But you know, that it's so often the case that in those really overwhelming environments like supermarket, and it was after the school day and he was in his little kindy uniform. So he'd obviously, you know, it's a big day. He'd had lots of stuff going on. And here he is in the supermarket. And the mum's frazzled because she's got all the other children to look after. Who knows what else is going on? And I just really, I mean, I did, after I'd had a chance to reflect on her, I did really feel so much compassion for her because it is really, really difficult. 
And it's so normal for that to be the space where our children are just, it's the final straw. They just can't cope and they fall apart. And so, yeah, when we can see it in that really loving and compassionate way, that our beautiful child is still our beautiful child, that they're always still deserving of love, even when they're behaving in this way that's really painful and difficult for us to be with. And then we can actually support them, which means that they're less likely to do that. Yes. Yeah, it's like the opposite. We we think that if we give in and surrender and, you know, be with them in it, that they're going to do more of it. But it's actually the opposite because they're trying to bring their bodies back into balance so that if we, you know, if we push away, then it kind of gives them the message that, well, you don't love me when I behave like this. So it either, you know, then they will sort of repress their feelings deep down and move into, you know, other ways of not, you know, numbing out and not wanting to feel, or they will just go, right, well, that's how you're going to treat me and then just keep, you know, coming and showing up in that way over and over and over again. And it just becomes a bit of a vicious cycle, doesn't it? So it's really about viewing them in that moment as like, this is, yeah, it's still my beautiful, beautiful child. And they're telling me that they're having a hard time. And can I stop, pause, take a moment, take a breath, and then offer them, you know, that unconditional love, which is so much what aware parenting is about. Absolutely. Yeah. So Mm. beautiful. Mm. And it can be really helpful in those moments too, just to come back to that list of three around the thoughts and the needs and the the feelings part for us and for our children. You know, probably we don't have time when we're in the supermarket to be going into too much detail about what I'm telling myself about this. (laughs) Here is cultural conditioning for me and what is actually true. But, you know, doing that after the event does help us to then respond in a way that's more aligned with what we truly believe at another time. But certainly, yeah, looking at our children. And I think the more that we give kids information and the more that we meet their needs and give them choice and autonomy and and support them to feel connected and so on, the less likely it is that there's going to be lots of unmet needs in there that are going to be making it more likely that they're going to be behaving in that kind of really demanding and difficult way in a supermarket. Mm. I see. Yeah, that's so true. I love that. So it's quite normal, isn't it? Like we really like to normalize that. And and that this stage, you know, in, in their toddler years, it's such a where they're starting to have this really deep connection to who they are and what they want and what they need. And that connection to their that energy of 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 self, that will energy, as, as Marion describes it. And it's so normal then. And it's interesting, somebody in our community was posting about this yesterday in relation to their daughter and it often brings up quite a conflict in us doesn't it between really wanting our children to grow up to be strong and clear and to to be very self-connected and to not not be influenced by other people in, in or to be submitting to that kind of peer pressure but to be really clear and strong and set in who they are but we don't necessarily see that the start of that is them doing things like having tantrums and expressing their their will in this really powerful, unmissable way. Mm, I mean, there is that meme or like those that quote that's on like, 
Instagram and it makes around, you know, every six months or something about how like, you know, if we don't stop and listen to the small things when they're little, then they won't bring us the big things when they're older. And I think that's exactly what you're speaking about. Like we we all, if we, if we sit down and we write a list of or talk about what we want our children to do when they become teenagers and adults, it's often like the things that are described are, you know, that they'll talk to us, that they'll listen to us, that they'll come to us when they're going through really big things, that they become compassionate and respectful respectful adults or you know young children who experiment but are also willing to share with us and you know that they are cooperative and that they'll help out with the housework and you know they go through all we go through this whole list this vision of what we this little dream of what we want them to be like and then we get to these years which you know really I think that you know between the ages of sort of two to five they really start to like stretch it's like oh, I'm not a part of you anymore. I can actually go and I'm my own person and I'm independent and I want to be autonomous and I want to make choices and I want to tell you about that when I'm not happy. And at the same time, knowing that they can't quite do everything without us yet. So there's this sort of push and push and pull. But, you know, when we go back to that list of everything we want them to be when they're older, we often are not really willing to sit with that when they're younger. And that that's, that still comes up, I think, from that idea of where the parent and we know what's best and, you know, and that's that old parenting paradigm where when in this one we kind of see, you know, in a way of parenting we see that this is a beautiful expression of them, you know, being authentic, being who they are, and that we we have to on in and that push and pull of like wanting them to have this expression, but also us having really big feelings about that. And so it's interesting, right? Like you know, where do, where does it sit? What are we making it mean? What does it look like? What do we want them to do in these times? What do we want them to know? Do we want them to know that we deeply care about? what they the way they show up in the world and that they do have authenticity and you know there are going to be times where we don't where we do shut it down because we're too tired or we don't have the capacity to listen but in I think as a general feeling like what do we want them to know and understand about connecting with the truth of who they are and showing up in ways that are not enjoyable at times but that they're still deeply loved and connected to us in those moments yeah I love that I love how you describe that. Absolutely. And it is really difficult. Like it's an easy thing to say, isn't it? And it's a really difficult thing to do because of course, lots of stuff comes up for us as well in that process. And most of us were shut down or punished or criticized or mocked when we were expressing feelings in this kind of more tantrum energy kind of way. And so it's really easy to go into that in response to our children when they start doing it. And Mm -hmm. it really does take lots of time to reflect and to think about, you know, how things were for us and what we needed and what we would love to have been different if we're then going to offer something different to our children. But I remember as a child, if I expressed big energy in this way, my parents would kind of mock me. And, you know, I, I have absolute love for my parents, but they were doing the best that they knew how. I do see that. But, you know, if I would be like, whining or starting to get demanding about something my parents would imitate me and sort of ridicule me for that way and I see it often as well out in the out in the big wide world so it really does require us to be doing some work and getting listening as always with aware parenting into what's coming up for us and how painful this process was for us if we really want to get clear on how we want to respond to our children and 
I love how Aletha describes, I mean, I love in her latest book, Healing Your Traumatized Child, how she talks through this, what, what trauma is, whether it's big trauma or little trauma, it has the same impact on our bodies. And what's happening when we are responding to trauma and going into that sort of fight flight response or that dissociation response it means that, first of all, it's a physiological process that we have no control over. It's an automatic, powerful threat response process. Mm. And that when we can see it that way, we can then view that it's so normal that this is what our children are doing. And if when our children experience traumatic events, we are supporting them to release and to make the movements that they need to do and to cry and to be lovingly heard while they rage and to be supported then they release all that energy from their bodies and that's it. It's It's gone, they return to balance. But often that's not the case. And when that's not the case, what is the most common feelings that are associated with that unreleased stress and trauma is powerlessness mm-hmm. and, and sort of rage, outrage, fear. And so when our children haven't released these feelings and they're still held in their bodies, that's where exactly it's going to come out in those feelings of of outrage, of of fear, of powerlessness, of trying to feel powerful again, and and of these big movements. And Mel talks in her question about banging heads and that kind of thing. But it's so clearly part of that process when we understand it that way. And that can be really helpful too in order for us to then respond to our children compassionately when we see it in this, in this under with this understanding. Mm, I love that so much. And yeah, I think also it, it makes you sort of feel more comfortable with allowing the feelings to be there because it's actually a physiological response. It's not that they're being bad or naughty, like we said at the start. There's actually something happening for them in their bodies that's activating them to go into this place of having a big emotional response to, you know, lots of different things, whether they're mini or major traumas. And, you know, you took the words out of my mouth. I was literally about to share about how when I was growing up, my parents did the same thing. I, I just had this visceral memory as you as you were sharing, you know, when you when you're in a bad mood or you're irritable or something, you know, my parents used to mock me and, and my sister and, and they would say, oh, you've got attitude. And they would walk around going, you've got A, you've got A and being quite harsh. Now, of course, I have lots of, you know, compassion for the way that they were and I totally get it. But I remember, you know, sort of going through this process of feeling really powerless in that moment because there was something obviously happening for me and that I wasn't able to share. And so feeling really shut down. But then, you know, always later that day, having these huge outbursts, because there was no way for me to reclaim that feeling, like I needed to express it, and then being shamed and sent to my room or smacked or sent away, you know, punished for having the outburst, which was really just about me reclaiming some power and try to come back into some sort of balance within my body. And so, you know, it's tricky, right? Like it's really tricky to when we see it this way and we've got our own lived experiences of what's happened to us, it can be hard to sort of sit in this with our children and particularly when they do move into things like headbanging and, you know, things like that, which are, you know, we we kind of view that and go, oh, my God, you know, we're meeting all their needs and loving them and supporting them. How could he be banging his head? What could he possibly, why does he want to hurt himself? So I think, you know, coming back and looking at what's going on for us now our own childhoods, having a place to unpack that, explore it. So then we can show up really compassionately in these moments with our own children. So, so true. And 
What are we making it mean? What's coming up for us? I mean, those are just such important questions to ask ourselves again and again when things are tricky with our children. And yeah, having this perspective of what's really going on for them. And of course, understanding that in fact, what they're doing is this beautiful, natural process. And the reason why they're screaming and shouting is because when they experience the initial trauma, that's what they needed to do in order to survive. That's what flight right, is. That's what that energy is to shout, to yell, to to scream, to alert other people around you. I mean, that's a natural response to threat. And same with the big movements. We need to, to mobilize lots of energy when we are responding to threat and trauma to run away, to keep ourselves safe or to fight. And so these big movements of arms and legs thrashing around on the floor, that is all part of that like big energy that is kept in our body when we don't release it. And here they are doing this amazing work of, of getting all of this energy and tension out of their bodies that's got stuck there because they weren't able to run and to fight and to defend themselves in that moment. And it also supports them to really feel this, this sense of power and this sense of strength when in those original experiences, particularly when people go into that dissociation mode, they felt really powerless and and had to shut down. So it's it's undoing all of that and releasing it and healing it and getting it all out of the body, which means they're back in balance and calm and cooperative and loving and back to their normal selves. Mm, love that that's so yeah I love all of that that's so true and it's it's what I see even with my own girls you know being able to move through that and then come out the other side and be deeply connected to themselves again yeah and of course coming back to Mel's question too when when our children don't get to to release and express this rage and outrage in in really healthy ways that's when it, it becomes aggressive behavior and that's when it becomes hitting your sister or hitting yourself or you know, hitting your parents or whatever. And it's it's that, I mean, we've spoken a bit about aggression before as well, but it's it's that's what's going on there. That's why. And it doesn't mean there's anything wrong with them. And it doesn't mean there's anything wrong with him, Mel, or anything wrong with you, or that you've done parenting wrong. It just means that that rage, that power, that fear was not released for him. And so it's coming out now in these ways of of fighting um, because that's what he needed to do at the time was literally fight. Mm -hmm. So where parenting is so empowering, isn't it? Because once we have this understanding, we are then able to support our children in beautiful ways that do create healing and do support them to to release and to, to be free of what is driving their behavior. And I think in terms of like the actual head banging and, you know, moving, I mean, I'm not sure what surfaces exactly, but I think we can, you know, when we can come to it with holding that compassion and wanting to be with them and support them to move through the feelings is, you know, we can put a pillow there underneath their head or we can move it into a room where, you know, the bedroom where it's a bit safer, maybe we sit on the bed and then you're hitting his head on the mattress instead of the floor. So we can set things up and set the environment up for him so that he can still express what he needs to express, but do it safely in those moments. So I think, you know, that's just a little thing I was thinking as you were sharing that, like, how can we support him? to do it really safely and that we feel like there's no harm being created as well. Yeah, absolutely. And Marion did a beautiful post recently about, about men 
and anger, particularly, and about how important it is to be listening to our boys' feelings. I mean, girls' feelings too, of course, but she was posting in specific relation to, to men and to boys and supporting them. And of course, so often boys will experience big, well, all children will experience big feelings in relation to anger, outrage, and when we are able to listen to those feelings and to welcome those feelings, they're released. And when we can't do that, that rage and those big feelings then get suppressed. And eventually, we're not going to be able to keep a, a lid on them anymore. And I think mm. we all notice that in, in motherhood as well, this whole mother rage thing that comes up sometimes. And so, yeah, again, it's coming back to that perspective that this tantrum is is taking the lid off, that suppression of those big feelings. And that means that then they won't be held in their body to a point where they will then come out in in more aggressive ways when when they're older. So it really mm. is so, so powerful, isn't it? Yeah. And I, I think something that you, you always share that I really love is when you sort of sit with your children and you're witnessing them have their big release or move through their tantrums, just to be able to visualize the stress and all of the traumas or whatever it is that's coming up from them, you know, like physically just moving out of their body. And I think that's such a beautiful visualization to sit with, like to have that and go, oh yeah, that's actually what's happening in this moment. It really can support us to stay with it and be in it with them. Because we know that when they come out the other side and they, you know, lean into us and they cuddle and they're deeply connected with us once again, there's just this beautiful sense of, wow, this is magical. And I think once we've experienced that a few times as well, and we do see it shifting and moving, it makes it so much easier to continue you to show up in this way yeah yeah totally I love how Marion describes tantrums as therapy for toddlers I think yeah it's just a perfect (laughs) description and it's like therapy right here right now in the moment to be releasing those pent-up feelings and all of those stress hormones and all that physical tension so that they don't then need to have or have less need of going to therapy to release it all as adults so yeah it's really beautiful so should we talk a bit more then about uh, how we can then respond to our children in in the mm. moments when they're having these big feelings in ways that really support them. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I guess, you know, we did touch on this earlier, but I think one of the ways that's really helpful to keep in mind is, is that the more with aware parenting, we're focusing on, on meeting our children's needs, uh, particularly needs for choice and autonomy and agency, which again, I think we really underestimate how powerful they are and how important they are for the vast majority of children to have lots of opportunities to feel powerful, to feel like you're driving your own life and to be in charge of things yourself, then the more likely it is that our children won't have lots of unmet needs around these uh, these particular things, which then come out in in tantrums and other challenging behavior Mm. yeah I think yeah that's so important isn't it just to be able to do that and to be able to the whole idea is that we want to be able to meet their needs more and more over time isn't it and so that yeah by doing this we're able to do that which I think is really so central to aware parenting yeah and I think the other thing then in relation to that is particularly around attachment play and particularly around power reversal play and if you're not familiar with attachment play, I really recommend reading Aletha's book, Attachment Play, which is just so full of, of wisdom and ideas and thoughts about this. But power reversal play is particularly important if we're finding our toddler having lots of tantrums because it is an opportunity for our children to feel powerful 
So it's a way of playing where they get to be the strong one and the fast one and the clever one. And we play the role of being the slow one or the weak one or the silly one. And these games, so it might be in a pillow fight where they knock you over and you you touch them with a pillow quite gently and they they knock you with a pillow and you fall over. Or it could be having running races where you try and catch them and they get away or you do catch them and then they escape or, you know, any of these kind of games are so, so powerful for releasing those feelings of powerlessness that our children have experienced and supporting our children just to feel really strong and really capable, which is deeply healing for them. And I think like once you introduce all of these games, often they'll they'll ask for it. Like it's, you know, when they really need it, that they'll they'll say, I really want to play, you know, the cheeky puppy game, or I really want to play pillow fights. I really feel like, you know, that's what it's needed. And and deeply trusting, you know, when they do that, we're able to then support them to move through what they need to move through, through that connection and the laughter. And, you know, I remember when I first started playing like the knock me down game where they knock you with a pillow and that, you know, you exaggerate, oh my gosh, you're so strong. How do you keep knocking me down? And they just found it hilarious. There was so much laughter. And I remember thinking to myself, like, this is what childhood is meant to be. It is meant to be lots of connection and lots of laughter and lots of silliness. And, you know, not having that myself as a child, you know, it felt healing in some way to be able to do that. But it also felt very, very, very foreign because I didn't really ever play with my own parents in this same way. And so, you know, that took a bit of practice as well to sort of really embody attachment play. And I think the book was essential to me being able to understand the theory and and lots of the games. But what really really landed for me was I was doing Marion's Aware Parenting Instructor Mentoring course and in there she has like this compilation of videos of her playing with her kids and it was so inspiring to watch. I remember just watching and being like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. Okay, I have to try it. So I think that can be really powerful as well if we can see someone else doing it or we just play around with it a little bit and see what feels good that, you know, it really is a magical tool if we choose to use it. Yeah, so, so amazing. And I loved the the swing game where you're pushing your child. And it, I mean, it can be hard, like Mel's talking about having a baby as well. But, yeah. you know, maybe if you're at the park with him and you've got the baby in the sling or the baby's in the pram um, and you can put him in, a, push him in the swing and you push him away and then he comes back towards you. And as he comes towards you, you sort of pretend to kind of fall backwards and you're like, you mustn't kick me. You won't do it again, will you? And then you push them away and they come back to you and you kind of pretend to fall backwards. My kids used to laugh so much and love playing that game so that can be a nice one to do even whilst you've got a baby in your on your back to to support that kind of laughter and that kind of release but yeah I really would recommend doing lots of that and it's something that you can do more generally to support the release and the healing of these powerlessness feelings but you can also do it in the moment. So if you're trying to get your child to get in the car seat, for example, and they really hate being strapped in and there's lots of feelings coming up, can you go to the car and and you try and strap yourself into the car seat and say, well, you're driving today, so go on, you sit in the front or just, you know, bring in a bit of powerfulness and silliness in that Mm -hmm. moment to, to support them to release some of those feelings and have a bit of a laugh. And then you'll find that they're much more likely to be cooperative and to just do what it is that you want them to do. Yeah. I love that at the moment, Kiki, who's five and I are playing this game with her panda who she not is not severely attached to, but just sleeps next to in the night. And I play this game where if it's, you know, first when we're going to sleep, 
that he thinks it's the daytime and it's like time to wake up and I like be the panda and she's like but pandy it's sleep time and look outside the window and I'm like no I just see the sunshine and we you know she just thinks it's hysterical and then when we wake up in the morning I'm you know I'm often next to her when we wake up and she will be like oh it's morning time and then I get the panda I'm like oh it's time for us all to go to sleep now and like you know snuggling next to her and she's like but pandy the sun's up and I'm like and then I'd be the pandy and I'm like no you know it's night time it's time for sleeping and just that complete you know silly 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 play which she just thinks is hysterical and so every day and every night she's like can we play the pandy game I'm like yeah of course we can so I think you know it's it's that's not even a real attachment play game it's just a silly nonsensical game that we've made up but I think you know those games are often the best ones just going with what your children really love and enjoy yeah absolutely really beautiful and I just was thinking of when you were talking about that how I still do power reversal games with my children even though like my son's 20 now my daughter's 17 but it's quite interesting to think about tantrums as being we really think of tantrums as being a toddler thing but actually it's it's an all ages thing mm-hmm. I often have tantrums too and you know my my older children have tantrums at times as well and so bringing in power reversal whatever age your children are is really really super helpful and my daughter's playing this game at the moment it's absolutely hilarious where she'll say to me, she'll be sitting reading and she'll say, or she'll be watching TV or something. She's sitting down and she says, mum, it came, this game kind of, as always with attachment play, it kind of evolved and, and came through. I'm not quite sure how, but it's, it's this, I call it the hold my feet game. But she says, mum, will you hold my feet? So I stand wherever she is and I pick up her her feet and I'm holding like her ankles in my hands and she's going, no, mum, higher. And so I'm holding them higher and it's absolutely hilarious. And we all we both start laughing a lot because she's like, no, lower, no, mum, you're not doing it. Oh, mum, you're so bad. You're not doing it right. And I'm standing there holding my daughter's feet and lots of laughter, lots of fun and silliness where mm-hmm. she gets to be bossing me around. And then that's it. It's and it's mm-hmm. it's one minute of yes. of play and connection and silliness and empowerment for our children, and it just shifts everything, doesn't it? It does. Yeah, it really does. And I was I was also just thinking about the tantrum element. Like I had a tantrum like yesterday. Um, I was having a really off morning and I was quite emotional and I had the car door open and I was like, you know, getting the kids out and Kiki, not on purpose by accident, but she closed the door and it slammed into the back of my head and I just burst into tears. It was was really for me that pretext to have the big release, but she came up to me and said, I'm so sorry, Mama. And I went, I don't want to talk to you. Like I fully went into a complete, you know, three rod. I don't want to talk to you. Just get away from me. Said, I'm ready to run away. I don't want a mother anymore and just walked off you know and that's like not like me at all and you know and they were sort of following behind me and I had you know Marley didn't say anything and then I really you know I took a moment and I was like okay I am in pain but I'm okay it's not you know like my I'd gone into that like I guess the flight response which was very much just to run away but I took a moment held my heart and I said it's okay I'm not actually in danger it was an accident she did not do that on purpose and I am just feeling really emotional and I listed all the things that had come up for me and why that was so hard in this moment to be compassionate with her but also to be compassionate with myself 
And then I sort of just came back down into balance and I just cried. I just let it kind of be. And then I turned to her and I got down low and I said, I'm really, really sorry. I don't want to run away. And I really love you. And I know it was an accident. And she had a really huge release. And we both sat in the car afterwards. We had dropped Marley and we sat in the car and we just held each other and had a really big cry. And there was something really powerful in that. And then afterwards I said to her, she goes, I really didn't mean to do it. And I said, I I know, sweetheart, I was just having some really big feelings. Even before you hit, you know, you accidentally did that, I was already having really big feelings. But I, you know, I know that you would never do that. And I, she's like, and, and then we, then it moved into this play of, she's going to sell me to the crocodile enclosure. And she's like, mom, I'm going to have to sell you to the crocodile enclosure. I'm like, don't sell me to the crocodile enclosure. I promise to never do that again. So I don't know. You were pretty bad. We might have to sell you. How much will I get for you? $5? You know, it becomes like this joke that we often say to each other. And so then it moves. And then all of a sudden we're both laughing. And then the rest of the day was beautiful and gorgeous. And just we're really slow and connected. So, you know, there's there is deep trust when we keep coming back to these core principles over and over again and we're not always going to get it right and we are going to mess up and we are going to say things that are really unenjoyable and act in ways that are unenjoyable because it's true we all have these feelings inside of us at different times but it's you know when we come back and we do the things that you and I have been speaking about today it can shift and it can move and it also role models for them right they see us move into this anger or have this you know tantrum and then they see us holding our heart you know taking a few deep breaths letting our tears out coming back into balance doing the repair you know coming in with you know more crying together and then the play and then so it shows them what is normal which is what so many of us are missing because we didn't experience that growing up I love that. Yeah, absolutely. It's about as much as we can meeting our own needs and listening to our feelings so we can come back to be modeling what healthy expression of feelings looks like. It's so beautiful. Thank you for sharing that story because I think it's really, really helpful for us that we all have like these big feelings and we all have this time when we move into this kind of tantrum, kind of raging response. And when we can be with ourselves in that and give ourselves some love in that moment, and then allow those feelings and those tears to flow, we come back to balance. And like you say, that's then really showing our children what what healthy expression of feeling is. And one of the things I was thinking about as well when you were sharing that story was a similar thing happening to me. And I remember going into swearing, and I'm just bringing up swearing because Mel brought that up in Mm -hmm. her question too. It's quite a common thing for our children to, to start doing as well. And there's real immense power in terms of releasing that powerlessness energy comes through through swearing. And, and often now when I'm having a tantrum, I, I take myself away and I come out with some really beautiful, big language. And I find that a really powerful way to, to release some of that stored up energy as well. And so I'd love you to see it, Mel, that that's what he's doing. He's 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 kind of using that. And what we're trying to do is to encourage our children, instead of doing that in an aggressive way, we're doing that again in that healthy way. So, you know, bringing some play in response to the swearing can be really, really helpful. There's a big difference, for example, for me between swearing at my child if they've just annoyed me and me taking myself away and and choosing to swear by myself about how hard everything is. And so, yeah, when our children are going into that kind of quite aggressive sort of language, 
Can you move in with some play and be saying things like, oh, well, you can say that word, but you mustn't say, you know, banana bottom. That's you just whatever you do, don't say banana bottom. OK, because that word, I really, really can't hear that. And and then, you know, of course, you're inviting your child to say banana bottom and then they do. And then you're sort of like, no, don't say that. You mustn't say that word. I told you. you must. OK, well, you can say banana bottom, but don't say, you know, pancake. I don't know, whatever it might be. So, you know, bringing in some play in response to the swearing is really, really helpful to to be supporting them, to be using words in a way that feels powerful for them, but without the aggressive element in it. Mm, I really love that. And I was just thinking that kind of links into another part of Mel's question where she said right at the end, you know, um, what is a good way for us to respond to him when he's having a tantrum and how do we stop him hurting himself and his sister? And I think, you know, the key part there is that we don't want to stop anything because that's going to shut down those feelings. But how can we actually use attachment play or use listening to feelings or, you know, really coming in with that presence to actually allow him so to express what he wants to feel. And so, you know, with the hitting, it might be, you know, you can't, I'm not willing for you to hit your sister, but I'm so willing for you to go and like, you know, smash that pillow over there or this couch or, you know, allowing him to have that outlet. Or maybe we just move in with loving limits. And I know you've done lots of podcasts sharing on that before. So that might be a place for Mel to go and get some more information because that's pretty much another whole topic on how we support that. But, you know, just coming back to this idea that we don't want to stop or suppress, we want to work with whether it's swearing whether it's hitting whether it's the head banging whether it's you know just melting down and having a big you know session of listening to feelings that we're really allowing that to move that we're not as best that we can not to shut it down yeah I love that and so when they're in the midst of these big big feelings then what is most effective for us is to be as calm and as loving and as present and as connected as we can with our children so What we're trying to do is to ensure that they feel safe and that we've got them and that we are right there with them and that we are, we care about how they feel and that we are acknowledging how difficult it is and that we are being unconditionally loving to them in that moment. So that is like just reminding them it might be with our words. I see how hard this is for you, sweetheart, and I'm right here. I'm going to stay with you and keep everyone safe. Or it might be with a touch that we're right there. We're putting our hand on their back whilst they're flinging themselves around on the floor. I'm right here with you, sweetheart, and, and offering love that way. It might just be our energy that is like oozing this vibe of unconditional love and care and support it might be just you know reminding ourselves in that moment it's okay they're just releasing stress and tension and trauma and tending to ourselves in those moments but the most helpful thing we can do is to offer them our calm loving reassuring presence in those moments and you know this sometimes I think it's we say things like I'm here and I'm listening and we might put a hand on their back and other times it really is just about coming as that physical container for them to sort of have this release into and for us to just sort of be there and be witness to what they're experiencing and not not really saying much at all but just actually being present and available yeah and it gets easier to do that the more of this sort of understanding that we have and the more opportunities we get to go to our listening partner and to say, 
oh, I didn't even really like my child today. I wish they wouldn't do that. Or, oh my God, I can't believe that they were melting down in the supermarket. Or I hate it when they hit their sister or yeah, when he swears, it really triggers me or, you know, whatever it is that might be, might be there for us in the present moment. And also, you know, exploring what's coming up for us too around children should and all of that sort of stuff around our conditioning can be so, so helpful so that less and less we will be there judging or feeling harsh towards our children in the moment. And instead, we'll be able to be much more loving and connected and and really seeing them as as our beautiful child still there in front of us, waving that flag. And I used to say to my kids, they they bring it up now because it became a big joke in our family, as most things with <laughs> parenting that I used to say. But, you know, I used to tell myself, oh, it's the light, my light on the dashboard is flashing. I can see my soul light is flashing on my dashboard. And then so I might say to him, oh, sweetheart, I can see my your light splashing on the dashboard that you really need, you know, and, and, and then he, so I actually said it to him the other day. I think my soul light is flashing on my dashboard and he just was like rolling his eyes and going, oh, mum. But, you know, coming back to that perspective of really seeing our beautiful child in need of our support and being able to have capacity to offer that. I love the way you explain that. That's really beautiful. So anything else? I mean, I think it might be helpful just to talk as well about the broken cookie phenomenon Mm. here and about how often, yeah, we do see our children having really huge feelings in relation to something quite small. And it's kind of like the straw that breaks the camel's back or the final straw that there's lots of big feelings there. And they're using this quite small thing as an opportunity to have a big cry and to offload their big backpack of feelings that they've been carrying around with them for a while. And so, again, this is something that's so misunderstood in our culture, isn't it? But when we have this perspective that our child's having huge feelings about something that we think is is really little, and we might find ourselves going into that judgment of thinking, well, it's just a cup, what's the big deal? Or why, why does it matter whether it's the blue cup or the red cup or whatever? But when we're seeing it as they're actually using this as a pretext to be able to offload a whole lot of feelings, how wise and amazing of them. I'm going to hold the space so that they can actually do that. It's just so, so beautiful. And it empowers our children to then get it all out and lots more in that moment. And like you said, they're then beautiful afterwards and easy for the rest of the day. And it's all just lovely. Yeah, I think when we can see it from that perspective, it makes it so much easier that it's not necessarily this little thing. I mean, it can often be a big thing, but sometimes it's a little thing. And it can often be that they want us to sit in a certain place or they want us to eat in a certain way or whatever it is. And, and then having really big feelings about that, then we can know it's it's not really about that at all, that it really is exactly what you just said, that you know, lots of things have been accumulated throughout the day, such as if they go to childcare and you know you think about when they're there they're having to be told what to do and when to eat and when to change their nappy and toys taken off them and you know that's that sort of thing it can be that we've missed maybe some signs from them that they were hungry and or they're tired or you know they're feeling frustrated that they have to share something with their sister or their brother that they really didn't want to so you know all these little things that happen throughout the day 
um, often I find because of our culture just being moving around from appointment to appointment you know if, if you've got an appointment as a mother or you're taking them to appointments and then we're at the supermarket and then you know I might go to the playground for a bit and, and in each of those circumstances and scenarios there's something there where they might feel powerless or they might not have been heard or you know we go for coffee dates with our friends and you know we're busy chatting and we're not really engaging with them so they feel disconnected from us and so all of these little things you know get put into the backpack and put into the backpack and put into the backpack and then by the end of the day you know and it's often around that four or five o'clock time you might find what what they would call witching hour but that's you know all these things that have happened and we go to you know offer them you know what we thought they were happy to have for dinner and now all of a sudden they're really unhappy about that or you know they wanted the wiggles plate but unfortunately it's just the play school plate today because wiggles is in the dishwasher and it's running at the moment so there's no way we can take it out and they have this really big release about that and you sort of sit there going what is going on but we know that it's not about the actual plate it's all these little things that they're offloading throughout the day to be able to support themselves to come back into that balanced state again. Yeah, I love that. And there are, I like how you describe all those different sources of stress for, for toddlers on a day-to-day basis, as well as all the other stress that they've faced and all the other times that they often weren't able to release that stress and trauma from their body and, and have that held on. So it's it's like this, this daily accumulation of little things that happens that eventually pushes their body into that sort of hyperarousal response. And, and that's what's happening with these, these broken cookie moments. So... Mm. Yeah, it's a, it's a really beautiful, I love how aware parenting just again and again comes back to deeply trusting the amazing wisdom and the goodness and the, the lovableness of our children and, and doesn't judge their behavior as being good or bad or, or that there's anything wrong with them. It's just about there are our own unique children responding to them in the moment when we can in this loving way and when we find ourselves unable to do that, getting more support for ourselves so that we can come back to doing that. But just understanding this framework just supports this really beautiful, loving, compassionate connection with our children that is so lovely. It's just so, so touching and beautiful, isn't it? It is, and I so resonate with those words. It's just it really is a really beautiful parenting paradigm for both us and for our children and it's very healing for everyone. Yeah, yeah. Is there anything else you want to say about anything that we haven't covered today? I just, you know, I deeply trust each person on their journey and, you know, this takes time and practice and I think we were just talking about this, you know, before we got on the podcast, but I think often we want to just get to the part where everything's really easy and good and enjoyable and our kids are cooperative and they love us and we love them and they listen and sometimes we do go through periods where we need to get a lot of listening and our children need a lot of listening for us as a family to really come back into balance so I think there needs to be a deep trusting and a willingness to sit in the discomfort of feelings in general and I think you know it's not natural for us to want to sit in discomfort I mean I think as a society we're pretty repressed and we numb out and you know we've all got control patterns that we use to sort of protect us which is beautiful you know we can't listen and be with feelings all of the time but I think what a what aware parenting is really trying to do is can we do it to the most that have, that we have that emotional availability to do so. And we do that by, you know, changing our internal dialogue and, you know, listening to ourselves and having spaces for us so that we can really offer that to them. And it's a completely different way of thinking and being. And it takes practice. It doesn't happen overnight. And even just in the five, five or so years that I've been practicing it, you know, strictly aware parenting, 
five years ago, I, I couldn't really listen to much. You know, I remember voice noting my listening partner saying, wow, I listened for like 20 minutes and it was amazing. But, you know, it builds up over time. And the more we practice it, the easier it gets. And, the, and in some ways, as our children get older, it does start to get a little bit easier because they can communicate much, you know, more easily and express. And we, you know, can clearly see when things are feelings versus when it, you know, is an unmet need. And so I think, yeah, just all of that, just that deep trusting, trusting and surrendering into it, I think is really important. I love that. Yeah. And and what we're doing in tantrums is supporting our children to be in the discomfort of all of those big feelings. And, and that really requires us to, to be slowly learning again, relearning for ourselves what that means and that it's actually safe to be in discomfort for ourselves with our feelings too, when we can find spaces to to get the support that we need to be able to do that. So yeah, I love that. So Danny, how can few people find out more about you and do you have any any offerings and stuff that you'd like to share in, in um, this conversation? Yeah, what I I mean, Instagram's the main place and I have my website, um, thewavethewoman.com.au, but I mainly post things on Instagram. I mean, I've been pretty quiet. We've been busy and now exploring aware parenting community, which has been really beautiful, just getting that sort of where in month two. So just getting that established and getting to know all the families there. I'm still doing one-to-one sessions. I'm doing a lot more sort of local on the surf coast, but I'm still doing online as well. And upcoming offerings besides just the circles and all those things, I think you and I eventually are going to be offering some online aware parenting circles, which I'm really excited about, but also just trusting our timing because we both have (laughs) lots going on. But it is our intention to have them up once a month for people to come into. But yeah, just trusting that that will come out when it's, you know, birth into the world when it's ready from both of us because we both do a lot outside of all the other things we're already doing. So, yeah. Absolutely. Trust the timing. That's always the answer, isn't it, in a web painting? Yeah. What about you, Joss? What am I doing? So I have a, I'm hosting an attachment play workshop with Aletha on the 19th of November which I'm really looking forward to. There's only three places left on there. So by the time this goes out, it'll probably be fully booked. That's wonderful. I love listening to Aletha. I learned so much from her. And I've got a new live round of my Web Parenting Teenagers course starting on the 13th of November, which is three weeks of Facebook Lives and Zoom circles. Mm. Going back over lots of the content that's in the recorded videos in there and looking at reflections and I'm adding in some lovely meditations for that. And what else? I've got a new course, my web partnering course, which I started working on this time last year. It's just been this ongoing, like every few months I go, yep, coming out any minute now. And then it just something happens and I don't quite get there. So it is actually nearly finally happening. I'm just having some tech issues and my tech goddess queen is sorting them out. So hopefully in the coming I want to say days, but let's say weeks. (laughs) That will be available. And that's a really beautiful way of bringing this whole aware parenting framework to your relationship with the other parent of your children, whether you're together with them or whether you're in like a blended family or whether you are separated and and co-parenting and how to bring all these beautiful tools and strategies and principles to that relationship too, and how to support your children with the, the challenges that exists between ourselves and our partners so or co-parents so I really really love that course once it's out so yeah and one-to-one and ongoing of course yeah so 
Yay. Thank so you. celebrating you for getting that out. <laughs> Not yet. So. Not yet. I, but still, it's uh, it's coming. It's your, You've been very willing and you are going to get it out because it's just, yeah, it has to. It's ready to be birthed now. Yeah. So is there anything you'd like to reflect on or to share or to ask if people want to reflect mm-hmm. on or anything that you wish you'd known about tantrums back at the beginning of this process that you now deeply understand that you think might be helpful? I think the invitation is always to start with us. You know, what are we feeling about tantrums? I, I always like to sit down, particularly when it's something new maybe um, that I'm not not used to and I'm very much like I do all the research and then I take that in and then I sit with, well, what does it mean for me and how is it looking for me? So I think the invitation here, if you're newer to aware parenting and for Mel who asked the question is to sit with, how was my own, like what happened in my childhood? How was it, how were tantrums met and what what did I experience and maybe finding a place to unpack that, whether it's with a listening partner or an instructor or, or a therapist, just having our own place to sort of explore it because I remember in my own you know one of my first sessions with Lael I was telling her about my childhood and she said to me you know that is not what's normal that's what's normalized and it was the first time someone had ever told me that it wasn't normal to be smacked to be punished to be sent to my room to be shamed like it was like life altering for me because I just assumed that that's what everyone experienced in particular because a lot of what other people were sharing I was in her immersion at the time was exactly what I was or not exactly but very similar to what I was experiencing so I think the first part is to really what does it mean for me how does it make me feel what comes up for me when I listen to feelings or tantrums and when we can then move some of that we can start to play with how do we show up and listen and meet you know their meet them in what they're feeling but I think it's for me the invitation is always to go inwards first before offering to go outwards Love that. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. That's so beautiful. Yeah. What about you? What's your little I gem? Think I, I mean, along those similar lines, I would say, how often are you talking to a listening partner? Well, that will be my invitation. How often do you get to speak to somebody who understands this approach and who can listen to whatever it is that you're thinking or feeling or needing in relation to what's going on to your for your children? And can you bring in more of that to your life? Because that is, that's where the gold is for us to be able to then offer aware parenting to our children. So, you know, if you're having one listening session a week, can you make that two? Or if you're having one a month, can you make it one a fortnight? Or if you have one listening partner, can you reach out and set up another one? This is absolutely essential for us to be able to to parent in this way. We can't just force ourselves because we know about it to do it unless we're also getting spaces to to take and unpack for ourselves. Mm, love that. That is absolute truth there. Yeah. Oh, well, thank you so much, Danny. So lovely always talking to you. And if anybody else has any questions, please let us know. And we will be doing more of these conversations more regularly when we can. And I'm so grateful for your time, Danny. Thank you. Thank you, Joss. Thanks for having me on. I so love our conversations. They're so beautiful. Thank you. Thank you for joining me on Aware Parenting Stories. I hope you enjoyed this episode. To find out more, please visit my website, www.awareparenting.com.au and follow me on social media at Aware Parenting with Joss. I wish you much connection and love on your parenting adventures. Mm-hmm.